I'm really excited about today because I finish a series. And uh, so this is the first series that we kicked off with Together Church, and it's been about the rhythms of rest, how to rest deeply in an age of anxiety. And we've talked about lots of things in this series, and I really enjoyed sharing stories and exploring this scripture in more detail. From Matthew 11:28 28 to 30, where Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And look, our culture is busy and we're rushed and there's challenges and struggles and stresses in every one of our lives. And yet, as apprentices of Jesus, we have access to another promise And that promise is to come to Jesus and receive his healing and his hope and then to walk in his rhythm and walk in his way that we talked about, like the older older ox yoked to the younger ox who would walk in the rhythm and pattern of the older ox and learn to walk in the rhythms of rest and experience rest for our souls. So um, we've looked at a few things in this series. We looked at the pattern and the person of Jesus, which is from that scripture in Matthew, that Jesus says, come to me, so that's the person of Jesus, and in him, because of his life and death and resurrection, we find rest. And we also walk in the patterns of rest, the daily, weekly, and annual patterns. Uh, We've looked at different patterns, we've looked at the annual perspective, so what it might look like to organise your holidays each year before you book your rest. We've been looking lots at the weekly rhythm of rest, which is that of Sabbath, and the idea of having one day a week which is dedicated to God, which is dedicated to rest, to really enter into His rest. Now, I originally was going to go to the daily rhythms and talk about prayer and eating and exercise and some of the rhythms of Scripture that we can do day by day to help us enter the patterns of rest. But um, given that I got so excited about Sabbath, uh, I've decided to to pull that up and uh, in a future series, we'll look at patterns of daily rest, but um, I think I just have to move on. So um, hopefully that's okay. Um, But in terms of Sabbath... We've spent time on it because it's one of the most complex but most beautiful and important rhythms of rest that we can adopt into our lives as apprentices of Jesus. And yet for many of us, it's really unknown. And so we looked at the command of Sabbath, looking at what the Old Testament says about Sabbath being in the commandments and the command to actually take a day off once a week to have a day of rest. We looked at the freedom of rest. So what Jesus says about rest, where he actually provides a whole heap of freedom for us to actually rest with joy and grace. Uh, but, um, and he says that the Sabbath was made for man, if you remember, but not man for the Sabbath. And so that's a call for us to love Sabbath because the Sabbath was made for humans and yet at the same time not to be bound by it in a legalistic way. And as well as that, we have looked at how to design a Sabbath rest. So there's a really practical framework on how to design a Sabbath uh, and a super quick review. uh, And this is all on the website as MP3s if you'd like. Um, Two pillars of Sabbath being one of rest and the other of remembrance. So that if if you are doing activities that are full of rest or worship uh, on the Sabbath, then they really work. Uh, If 
your activities are not restful or not connected with remembering the goodness of God, then maybe pull back and withdraw those activities on Sabbath. And, uh, and very practically, the five Ds were to pick a day, so one day a week to rest. The dishes and dinner was about preparation because I couldn't find a D word. Uh, so I'm um, basically do preparation for Sabbath so you have the capacity to rest. What are your do's? The things that really enable you to enter rest and remembrance. What are your don'ts? The things that actually draw you away from God and from rest and disconnect. And I'm going to spend the rest of today talking about the last one, which is disconnect. How to rest in the digital age, how to disconnect uh, from our devices one day a week as a habit in order to experience something new and something different. Sound okay? All right. Turn off your phones, by the way. All right. <laughs> uh, so, look, um, technology, it's wonderful, it's brilliant. Uh, I adore technology. I have um, just so many tools that I love, but it's complex, it's distracting. Um, look, Tom Chatsfield, I love this quote. He's a media theorist that I read a book on, and he writes, We live in an age of miracles. We live in an age of miracles. So commonplace that it can be difficult to see this as anything other than part of the daily texture of living. Basically what he's saying is we live in an age of miracles. I mean, I, can, I remember when I was dating my wife, or when I was dating Kylie before she was my wife, she, she went overseas and we had to write letters to each other and wait weeks and weeks. Now I could just, we could just text someone. You know, there's, there's a myriad of amazing, incredible miracles that we can do every day um, and, and we take them for granted because it's just part of the texture of living. So, so technology has transformed our world in incredible ways and yet it's also made it super complex all at the same time. Um, so look, I, an example, I was, I was coaching a client just last week and part of my, um, I suppose, my professional role when I'm not doing ministry is to work with clients and help them. I do strength finder and coaching and different training. And so when I'm talking with someone over the table, I'll be listening to them, trying to understand where they're at, hopefully asking guided, you know, healthy questions and, and having the ability to listen to the things that people want to share uh, so they can have their aha moment. So it, it requires concentration and eye contact and good relationship. Um, and uh, so I was chatting with this client and then all of a sudden I felt my phone, I turned it off luckily, but I felt my phone vibrate. I'm like, oh, must be a text message. And, and all of a sudden I realised, oh, I'm meant to be concentrating. I think the lady was telling me something fairly personal about her life and, and her strengths and yet a little bit of my brain is thinking, I wonder what that message is. I wonder if that could be Kylie, it could be the kids, it could be someone important, I don't know, it could be my next appointment. Oh, and so, so I'm focusing, I'm concentrating, but a little bit of my mind was off thinking, oh, maybe I can just quickly check that message. And you know, have you ever been in that situation where you just think, oh, I've just got to stop thinking about that text, and yet at the same time it's still in my pocket? So I kind of waited. I thought I probably couldn't you know, quickly look at it without her realising that I wasn't focusing. But after about 10 minutes, uh, I think she was looking at her worksheet, and, and I, I quickly thought, now's my chance. So I just, just quickly <laughs> pulled out my phone and had a quick look at it. And the stupid thing, it wasn't a text message at all. It was from my phone, a notification from Apple, uh, something called screen time, and it was congratulating me on spending 19% of my day on my screens being addicted. 
Now, the, the, the irony was ridiculous because on the one hand, I just, I just lost my mental focus for 10 minutes because my screen was telling me I'm no longer addicted. <laughs> ridiculous. Oh, and, you know, that's the thing about technology, isn't it? That on the one hand, um, it's amazing and we live in an age of miracles, but on the other hand, we're so distracted and there's so much clutter in our life because of our tools. And, you know, I think it's ironic that, you know, Apple knows that their tools are totally and utterly distracting, so they give us more distracting tools to help us not be so distracted. Ah, oh, there, I've had my rant. Oh, I feel a lot better. Thank you. <laughs> All right, so where was I? So, I have a love and a hate relationship with my phone. Bottom line. I love it. It's sleek. It's beautiful. It's functional. It allows me to communicate. It allows me to learn. Uh, I run a business. I have so much technology. My business is about teaching people how to use technology and how to not use technology. So my very like, way of living wouldn't be here without the tools that we have that didn't exist 15 years ago. I'm very thankful for that. And at the same time, I have a, a hate relationship with technology. You know, work is just constant. I'm bombarded by emails day and night. You know, I'll, I'll get my inbox to zero, come turn, turn on my phone at 6.30 in the morning and I've got all this stuff from the US and different clients who have emailed me at 12 and 1 o'clock at night. I mean, just work never stops. There's this constant bleed of communication, there's social media, it just goes on and on and on. And so there's this sense where uh, how do we wrestle with the love part of technology and also deal with the struggles of technology in a rhythm, because this is what we're talking about, in a way that honours God. Okay, so how do we rest in the digital age? Now just to let you know, I'm going to just touch on this a little bit today, but um, a few years ago I did a full series on digital technology and discipleship. So if you really want to dig into this and understand particularly what it means to be a parent, what it means to understand technology and social media and the medium itself, it's all on the website, just look it up, it's a series under our, pod, uh, under our sermon series. But look, obviously, let's look at what Scripture says. And, and the, the challenge with this is obviously the Bible doesn't talk about the smartphone very much. At least not directly. I mean, if, if you're fairly new to faith and you've got, let's say, the U, you know, U version app and you read the Bible on your phone, just to let you know, that wasn't the original version, okay? So it was written before the phone was invented. Um, and so, look, obviously, it's, there's not direct references to digital technology in the Scriptures, and yet the Scriptures always help us with every aspect of modern life. We just need to know how to look and where to look. And I would say particularly... Uh, the Bible helps us to understand the human condition and when we understand the human condition, we can understand our relationship with the digital world. Yeah? So um, I, I've been reading the Scriptures with uh, a, a new friend, or a friend of mine, and uh, she's never read the Scriptures before. This is her first encounter with the Bible. And, and as I read them, uh, it's, it's been fascinating to hear her questions and, and I just love hearing the perspectives of people who haven't encountered the, the library of Scripture before. But uh, I asked her a question, uh, I think two weeks ago, and I said, out of everything we've been reading over the last few months, what's one thing that stands out to you about the Bible? And her response was really quite profound. She said, oh, it talks about humans. And actually, it was really profound because she said, I said, tell me more. And she said, well, I used to think that the Bible was about God and obviously it is about God, but I never expected it to be about people. And when you read the Bible, you actually learn about who we are 
about the human heart, about our desires, our motivations, our longings. Uh, and I'm like, oh, that's a pretty, that, that insight came from God. <laughs> and you're on the right track. You are heading towards Jesus. So it's awesome. But it's true. So the Bible says a lot about the human heart. And as we understand the human heart, we understand technology. So I want to look at this. Now, typically I would look at idolatry and the idea of idol worship when it comes to technology, because the, the impact of the heart on what we worship. But I prayed a bit before we headed into this sermon and uh, I really felt compelled to speak on a scripture about Sabbath and not idolatry and it is the most bizarre scripture that I've chosen so I'll put that straight out there to begin with. I'm going to speak uh, on the book of Numbers. Um, I do have the scripture here but feel free to look if you have a Bible with you. So Numbers 15 verses 32 to 36. And it's a scripture where Moses addresses the people in the wilderness Okay, now, a warning, this is a bizarre scripture. <laughs> like, it's one of those disturbing, violent Old Testament stories that actually are, is really hard to understand. You know, the kind of the ones where I think, gee, I wish that wasn't in the Bible because it makes me really uncomfortable and I definitely never want to preach on it. But it's the one I felt I should preach on, so I do believe it's relevant and I think it says a lot about Sabbath and it says a lot about technology. So let's read this. Numbers 15, 32 to 36. While the Israelites were in the wilderness, a man was found gathering wood on the Sabbath day. So Sabbath being the command to have one day off. Work six, rest one. Those who found him gathering wood brought him to Moses and Aaron, so they were the leaders of the community and the whole assembly. And they kept him in custody because it was not clear what should be done to him. Then the Lord said to Moses, the man must die. The whole assembly must stone him outside the camp. So the assembly took him outside the camp and stoned him to death as the Lord commanded Moses. Okay, so that should be pretty self-explanatory, I reckon. Um, thank you for listening and let's worship. No, seriously, I mean, what type of scripture is this? Like, it's disturbing and it's bizarre and um, it's, it's difficult. I mean, I, look, I have to, I'm one of these people that, I mean, I love the Old Testament and we need to read the Old Testament. It's, ab it's God's word and it's, it's absolutely foundational. Um, but there are a few, a few passages in the scriptures which I struggle with. I mean, I struggle with the violence and, and just some of the, I don't know, the, the, the sense of struggle and, and almost cruelty in the Scriptures, especially when it seems that God mandates it, yeah? Uh, and I've always wrestled with that, but, but we need to take a step back because the Scriptures are the Word of God, and so whenever we wrestle with Scripture, we need to take a step back and try to work out, well, well what is God saying? Because God is a God of love and mercy as well as a God of judgment, and He always speaks into the human heart. So, so we have to look at this a bit more deeply. But I just want to acknowledge first that if you're reading this for the first time going, yeah, that is a weird scripture, <laughs> you're not alone. All right, so a man goes out and he's gathering wood, firewood on the Sabbath, okay, and he's caught. Now, the scriptures before talk about um, the fact that it, there are different penalties when people accidentally break laws compared to intentionally. So it's pretty clear from the context. I won't read the scriptures before, but it's clear from the context that this man was deliberately breaking Sabbath and collecting wood. Okay, that's important. The intention was deliberate. But, uh, so he was brought to the leaders of the community and 
put in custody. Now, that alone is pretty extreme for collecting sticks. Yeah? All right. So then Moses and Aaron, they are not sure what to do with him. I mean, he's clearly broken Sabbath, but that is clearly a minor misdemeanor. I mean, collecting sticks is not a big deal in any culture at any time. Okay? Um, But, you know, so they probably expected, you know, naughty, naughty, slap on the wrist, don't store and collect sticks again. But, But Moses, being a man of God, he didn't just come up with his own idea he spoke to the lord and the god spoke to moses directly the scriptures say and 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 the lord said this man must die it's like full on and um and it took moses by surprise i mean i think moses and aaron were not sure what to do you know if this is the new testament this is jesus speaking i mean think of the stories where jesus said he came to to search and seek out the lost to be a yes there's judgment and god judges but he he came to rescue and provide grace you know i'm sure jesus would have said he who has never collected sticks throw the first stone and yet in this case something entirely different is happening you know rather than a disney plot where it always ends well, it's more like Game of Thrones. Okay, this is a Game of Thrones scripture where like the main character dies <laughs> when you least expect it. All right, and we have to understand how on earth does it end the way it ends? Yeah. All right. So to, to understand this, remembering that God is an incredibly loving, graceful God, we need to look at the context of this scripture. And it's actually quite beautiful when you understand it. We're going to look at a concept of slavery versus freedom as part of what it means to understand the scripture that we're reading and understand the context of how God is blessing the people with this scripture, this, with this punishment. So the context is that Israel were in slavery for hundreds and hundreds of years under Pharaoh. They worked seven days a week all the time there was no freedom, there was no rest. It was an exhausting, horrendous way to live. And they weren't just slaves physically, they were slaves in their imagination, in their identity, in their habits. They had the habits of slavery in Egypt. And God wanted them to be free. Now, if you're not sure about, if you're not kind of fluent in emoji, I looked this up on Google and apparently the kind of emoji with the tears is for slavery. So that's how hip I am. I even know the emoji for slavery nowadays. But okay, so there's, there's the emoji for slavery on the left and obviously one for freedom on the right. And so Moses, um, under God's call, delivers the people out of Egypt Puts them, in the promise, uh, puts them into the wilderness of 40 years and it's this space of liminality where he is breaking the slavery out of them so they can enter into the promised land and be a new people under God in complete freedom. He gives them the law, he calls them to be set apart and holy and he gives them Sabbath to train them how to be a free people who are not slaves. So you see these two, two systems, and that's what this slide is about. On the one hand, you have the system of slavery, the imagination, the habits, the practices of Pharaoh. On the other hand, you have the system of freedom, where God is graceful and where he wants to call his people out to live out an entirely different way of being. So you have, on the one hand, you have Pharaoh, you have Yahweh or God on the other. You have endless production on the left, You have rest on the right. You have a people who are a commodity, because that's all the Israelites were. They were just a commodity. On the left, 
And yet on the right, they were a people who were neighbours. They knew each other. They were a community. It's important. You know, the symbol for slavery is the pyramid, wasn't it? Where everything, all wealth, all power, it goes up to the top, to Pharaoh. And everyone at the bottom gets oppressed. Whereas the symbol for freedom is manna, free food, free water, equality where everyone under God is blessed and the blessing goes down. So we're talking about two entirely different imaginations for what it means to be a people of God. Can you see what I'm saying? One is that people will continue to think like slaves and treat each other as commodities and the other that they will be free people and bless those around them. And what, what Yahweh knew... What the Lord knew is that the habits and imaginations and practices that people developed in the wilderness would be the ones that they ended up being in Canaan. Do you follow? If he could not break the slavery out of the imagination and habits and practices and create rest and freedom there, then once they were in the promised land, they would never be truly free. And into this story... There is a showdown of two imaginations and it comes to head in this story of a man collecting sticks on the Sabbath. Walter Brueggemann, who has written a lot about Sabbath and justice, talks about Sabbath being a form of political and social resistance against injustice. It's not just rest, it's about justice. You have Pharaoh who endlessly demands more production. The slaves are to produce more bricks, to make more supply cities, to store an endless supply of grain for one person who owns everything. The system too is God is not a workaholic, God is not a pharaoh, God does not keep jacking up the production schedule, God rests, God is confident, God is serene and God is at peace. So my point is that this passage is not actually about one man with sticks, It's actually about the imagination of who God's people were to be. Were they to be slaves or were they to be free under God? So with that in mind, even though it's still a confronting story, that's the context. And I think the thing that's important is that it was confronting to Moses and Aaron. It wasn't just confronting to us. Um, Moses and Aaron said it's not clear what they should do. And it's confronted Jewish uh, rabbis and Christian scholars ever since it was written. But the point is that it is intentionally meant to confront us because of the harshness of the penalty. It, it makes no sense in the Torah because the Jewish law was very fair. It was just, it was merciful, far more merciful than any of the laws around them at the time. And yet, um, I mean, the death penalty was very common back then, so we can't judge by our standards. But the death penalty was for crimes against people where like murder and incest and rape, you know, when, when there were crimes against people, then God put in the law that people were to stone the other person to death, okay? But crimes against God, like breaking prayer or blaspheming, they were crimes against God and God would punish, but not people. But the thing that's interesting here is that in this situation, it, it doesn't seem to make sense because... Surely breaking Sabbath is a crime against God, so why did it incur the death penalty? That's not consistent with the rest of the Jewish law. Do you follow? So somehow, 
breaking Sabbath in this situation was not just a crime against God, it was actually a crime against the community. And it was actually a serious crime against the community. Somehow this man broke the community code in a way that actually really mattered and therefore the penalty was harsh. So to conclude this section, I know I've said a lot, but what I'd say is by deliberately breaking Sabbath, by collecting sticks on the Sabbath, this man was sinning not just against God but against the community because he was getting a competitive advantage over everyone else. And that mattered. You know, imagine this. Imagine on one day the man is allowed to collect sticks and that's okay, small misdemeanor. Well, then tomorrow... Everyone has to start collecting sticks. Everyone has to compete if one person can compete. You know, it starts with sticks and then, it's, then it goes to producing food and goods. It goes to running markets. It goes to creating food festivals, opening shops, having weekend shopping 24-7, department stores, online carts, internet trading, Saturday and Sunday sports, 24-7 emails, social media. It just goes on and on and on. We create a culture where we are no longer a culture of Sabbath and of rest. The culture now is the one where we are constantly slaves to Pharaoh and we never, ever, ever stop. And it's marked, we end up being a culture marked by anxiety and exhaustion and endless production and endless unbridled consumption just like the culture is now you make sense so i know that's a long explanation but it wasn't about sticks it was about becoming a free people under god Jordis Shulevitz, who I love, she's one of my favourite New York Times columnists, she writes this. She's a Jewish author, but she writes from a secular perspective. And she said on this Numbers verse, a man gathering wood on the Sabbath is not only doing forbidden work, he violates the mutual non-compete clause that lets Sabbath keepers feel they can afford to not work. If he gets away with it, then everyone else can too, and no one will be able to rest. It will no longer be feasible to keep the Sabbath as a collective and that's my experience i've never been in a culture where we keep sabbath like from the really from that through my whole adult life i've only experienced endless work endless shopping endless consumption because our culture is now marked by the imagination of pharaoh and and as soon as we had allowed certain shops certain producers certain companies to break the the mutual non-compete clause then no one could afford to work and everyone became exhausted. And so I wanted to, I wanted to frame this, this part on technology because I suppose I feel for you. <laughs> it's easy for me to say don't use technology like where everyone else does, but the reality is we're in a culture which is just set up for exhaustion. You know, Sarah Deutscher said that we live in an ambient anxiety you know, our culture is no longer Sabbatarian. And so I just, don't be too hard on yourself. Is that okay? Because we are now in a culture well past what we saw in Numbers. Um, and yet, God says that we have access to a totally different promise. We can be apprentices of Jesus and enter his rest. But it's a bit like this fish. We're going to need to swim upstream and be countercultural and be radical and be resistant and to use our tools slightly different to those around us. And as we do so, we will become healthy and whole and free in a new way as we come to Jesus and as we learn to walk in his rest. So what does this say about digital technology and Sabbath? We live in an age of miracles, yes, 
but we are constantly connected. Many of us work 24-7, we consume 24-7, we swipe screens 24-7, we communicate 24-7, we rarely unplug. It's really hard to truly unwind and just pause, just be silent. It's hard to be really still. And as wonderful as our phones and laptops and iPads and and everything is, like gaming tools, as, as great as our screens are, they do have a tendency to distract us, don't they? They have a tendency to draw us away from the system of rest, of worship, of rest and remembrance, and they draw us into the system of Pharaoh, of endless production, anxiety, activity, etc., etc., etc. Now, they're not bad. Please don't hear me wrong. Like, I'm not saying our technologies are terrible. But if we use them too much, if we overuse them and never pause, never create a rhythm of unplugging, then they can dominate our imagination and we can lose the capacity to be free people. I just want to read um, two Psalms and then I want to explain how to use this practically. So I love this Psalm. This is about idolatry because idol worship is about bowing to a statue. But nowadays it's not, I mean, who here bows to a statue? Well, don't put your hand up, actually, because that'll be really um, weird in a church service. So if you bow to a statue, don't put your hand up. But most of us probably don't. <laughs> okay, so we know that idolatry in the Old Testament is about bowing down to a statue. And yet, nowadays, you know, idol worship is not just a statue. It's about the orientation of our hearts, our habits, and our beliefs. It's about, do we put our hope and our identity in someone or something other than God? Or do we hold an idol up? And these things are awesome idols. Okay, We may not worship a statue, but I guarantee many of us worship these, or these enable us to worship many other things. Um, they enable us to gamble if we're gamblers. They enable us to look at images if we're addicted to sexual stuff. They enable us to chase community and find affection. They enable us to do all the things that we worship. So in this one little tool, there's so much that we can worship. So uh, Psalm says a lot about that. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does what pleases him. Their idols are silver and gold and made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a word, a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. Now, I love particularly um, the uh, NRD version of this scripture. Uh, the New Revised Daniel Version. Here we are. So, uh, why does the media say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. Their idols are lithium, cobalt and glass, the work of human hands. They have cameras but cannot see. Siri but cannot speak. They have touch screens but cannot feel. 4G mobility but they cannot walk. Those who make them will be like them and so will all who trust in them. Do you like my version? Nailed it. <laughs> we think the scriptures are irrelevant, but honestly, human, humans haven't changed. The human heart is just the same. We just worship different things. So it's a bit tongue-in-cheek, but I suppose what I'd like to say is I'd like to propose, I, I think this is ironic if you look at the symbols of our age, right? I mean, isn't it ironic that the, the symbol of the new technology is an eaten apple? I mean, seriously. <laughs> 
Go back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, they take a bite out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they become like God and that's when sin enters the world. And that is the symbol of our time. You know, what would it look like to occasionally go back to Eden and maybe avoid the eaten apple just for a day a week and actually create rhythms and patterns where you happen to be doing something else. A bit tongue-in-cheek, but I just had to do it because <laughs> I just think it's remarkable. So, um, so Abraham Heschel in the 1950s says this, Sabbath is a day of independence of external obligation, a day in which we stop worshipping the idols of technological civilization. It is not renouncing technological civilization, but gives some independence from it. So he wrote this in the 50s. This is before the smartphone. But what he's saying is the same, that we shouldn't reject our tools and we shouldn't reject technology, but if, if we don't take a break from it sometimes, then it will master us. I think Joe Harder, you told me years ago that you know, our tools can master us if we don't master them, and I think this is really true. There's a sense where are we mastering our tools? Can we let them go, or do they have control over us? So... I suppose what I'd like to say is when I unplug from my phone, I know this sounds a bit radical, once a week, I'm not rejecting digital technology. I'm not. I'm actually embracing it. It sounds hard, but I am embracing the value of technology by unplugging. I create objective distance, a sense of independence from my tools so that when I pick them up again, I'm fresh, I'm focused, and I'm free. I'm entering the system of Yahweh and not the system constantly of Pharaoh. You know, I, um, and that's all I mean by the habit of disconnect. You know, all I mean is on Sabbath, rethink your relationship with your tools. You may not turn off your tools, but I would be surprised if any of us didn't need to rethink our relationship, our habits and our patterns of the digital world on Sabbath if we're to rest and remember Jesus in a full and rich way. Do you follow? You know, I, um, I've written, I, I don't call it Sabbath on my blog, like my secular blog. I call it digital detox. It was the same idea. Okay, so I talk about Sabbath and I've, my, one of my most popular posts was about four years ago. This is on my other website and, and, uh, and it was basically about why I disconnect from my devices once a week. And it got heaps of comments uh, and yet what was interesting is that it, it got heaps of reactions as well. And, um, and, and whenever I speak about this topic of Sabbath uh, in the secular realm, people are absolutely fascinated, but they're like, the reaction is basically this. <laughs> that summarises, what's that for? Um, so, <laughs> well, what were you guys thinking of? What's that for? Goodness me. We're a holy people. All right, so... Um, Seriously, though, people say, are you kidding? Like, unplug from your phone for the day. I would die. Like, what on earth would happen to my life if I turned my phone off for one day a week? All right? And it's interesting because you look at this. Okay, one day in every week when you rethink your relationship with your tools. It's a big deal. I get that, right? You know, one full day in your week. Each week has a pattern. But I used to think of it as a big deal. But I actually realised a few years ago that I was looking at this the wrong way. I used to think, oh, it's Sabbath, I have to put all the energy and work in now to turn off and to not do the things I normally do. Because it takes effort, right? To rethink and reshape your habits. And then I realised, actually, I'm thinking about it the wrong way. You see, 
it's not that one day a week I, get, I have to stop something. It's, it's one day a week I get some white space in my calendar because six, seven days a week I'm swiping at my screens, I'm looking at social media, I'm communicating online, I'm on my phones, my, my devices constantly. One day a week I get this beautiful box of white space, which I've got here, where I get to do something else and realign my habits and to focus on other beautiful, wonderful things that God has given me in my life without total and utter distraction. I love unplugging because I live differently for one day a week. It's a holiday. It's a holy day. I love being unavailable. I love the freedom of having a day without distraction. I love the grace that comes when I rethink the way I use my phone. Basically, bottom line is, I love my day off not collecting sticks. So rather than think about what you might miss out on, think about what you can gain. I mean, I often have eggs and bacon for breakfast with my kids. And that's awesome. And you don't need a phone to cook bacon and eggs. I like playing Catan, one of my favourite board games. I love board games. They're back in vogue. But um, I liked board games before they were fashionable because I was never fashionable, maybe. But um, they're great, and you don't need a phone for that. I love mountain bike riding. I love activity. You know, I love exercise. We talked about that in the last talk, that you don't have to be inactive to rest on Sabbath. I love long coffees with friends. It's a beautiful photo. The kids happened to be running in line. I don't know how that happened, but they did. Uh, I love gardening in summer or spring, just getting my hands dirty. I love reading a book. Books are fantastic. I'm still using paper. I just can't go to a Kindle. Um, but my wife has, and she loves it. Um, you, can, you can have parties. You can eat cake with friends. We can pray because Sabbath is a time to worship as well. We rest and we remember. We worship. We can sing. Don't need a screen for that. Make barbecues. Have sausages with friends. You can have fires and eat marshmallows. There's so much to do. You know, you can eat lots and lots of really bad food. This is what we do on Sabbath. Kids say, can I have ice cream? Sure, it's Sabbath. Can I have lollies? After breakfast. But yes, it's Sabbath. <laughs> it is. I know. It's disgusting stuff. You can throw jelly at the wall and it doesn't break. I'm sure it's not. I'm sure that is not real food. Oh, dear me. Um, you can go up to the mountain and just have some silence. And it's beautiful to know that you won't get that text on your phone, in your pocket, so you won't be distracted. Um, you go on road trips. Maybe don't drive with your feet out of the car. You can look at the small stuff and pay attention to where you are. You can look at the big stuff. Lift up your eyes and just think, God, oh, God is good. Do you know what I mean? Yes, you miss out on some stuff. You miss out on your phone. You miss out on your laptop. One day a week, the world won't end. You know what I mean? So, look, I'm not saying you have to. But I've just found a lot of grace in not collecting sticks, in rethinking my tools, in rethinking my habits on Sabbath. And it's been one of the most beautiful, challenging, uh, interesting journeys that I've had 
in order to try to help myself love technology by not becoming a slave to my tools. So practically all I'm asking is for you to rethink once a week your habits. If you can, turn off your phone. I turn it off Friday night. Even on Saturdays, I still turn it on. I check if there's any key text messages. I turn it off sometimes. This weekend was hopeless because my wife's away and I had all these things I had to organise because she was away. Um, but there's a lot of grace. There's a lot of freedom. It's not to be legalistic, but it is to rethink and relearn the patterns of Yahweh, not the patterns of Pharaoh once a week. Uh, I have a, a Sabbath worksheet, so if you haven't followed the series and you haven't picked one of these up, or if you haven't yet done it and you've committed to it, please do it this week. Uh, it's a really simple how-to guide on how to design your Sabbath from where to go. Please do that. The peop- Who's done it, by the way? Awesome. Has it been valuable? Yes. All right. Do it. It's Excellent. So look, I'd like to reflect on these questions just for a moment in silence. Uh, Do you see a benefit in disconnecting? What might it look for you to unplug from time to time to rest and remember? Are there any behaviours that you want to shift? Behaviours and patterns that are drawn towards the eaten apple and not the one that was Eden, the habits that draw you towards Pharaoh and not God. The last question I'd like to ask is, can you trust God to run the universe without you? Because often that's the reason we can't turn off our phone. So just pause for a moment in silence. We're going to worship in a moment, but I'm, we're going to do communion. Actually, I just want to read this scripture one last time. Uh, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This whole series is about life and joy and hope. And sometimes to do that, to enter God's rest, we need to let go of the things that bind us towards things that are unhealthy. 